Welcome to Winning with the Burns, a podcast for highly ambitious people who have a burning desire to learn what it takes to win at a high level. Hey guys, thanks for joining us again today. You know, I got a great friend here today that I'm, I'm excited for you guys to get to know him. You know, he brings a lot of energy. <laughs> so if you uh, just drank a caffeinated drink right now, just, yes. Good luck. Just an, <laughs> see, you see what I'm talking about? He's, he brings a lot of energy. So Luke Ayers, thanks for joining us hey, today. Hey man, I, I feel honored. Uh, anytime uh, I get to be in places like this, uh, some advice I got five years ago is don't be the 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 smartest person in the room. And if your circle is always asking you for advice, change your circle. That's good advice. So it's that's been really. I'd never had to worry about being the smartest one in the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's that's one thing that's helped me. Like when you called me, um, when you called me, it was like, hey, schedule this out. Let's come. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Cause I yeah. love, you know, cause all the times of hanging out in a, in a regular setting, a chill setting, a lake house setting, yeah. you know, this is a whole nother setting. So you get different personalities and, and different things to, to learn from each other. So yeah. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, introduce yourself to everybody. Let us know, you know, where you grew up. Sure. I, I think you're one of eight siblings. Yep. One of eight. So, um, Luke Ayers was born and raised in Noonan, Georgia. Um, if, if anyone is from around here, people always, you know, cause Noonan's a big city. I look at it as a, a small town, but, you know, 150,000 people is not small anymore. I tell people I'm from Barbie Beach, and Barbie Beach is an area in Turin, Georgia, or sh- near Sharpsburg, East Coweta District, uh, that it's kind of like a landmark. Everybody goes that way, headed to the beach on spring break. So even people just driving through, headed to Panama City, you'll see all over social media, Barbie Beach, you know. So I'm from right here um, uh, in Coweta County. I've been here my entire life. Grew up on a big piece of property, um, uh, with big sibling. I mean, eight of us, you know, taking care of stuff. And then as we all started getting older, everybody kind of spread spread out a little bit. I was the one who never left. Um, I, I've had siblings live in different countries and different states and different things, you know, chasing industries or going with uh, a spouse. Um, I'm the last one to never been married and no kids of my own yet. Uh, but there are, of course, now I'm the favorite uncle because there are, as of last week, the 23rd uh, niece was uh, brought to the family. 23. So there's 23 nieces and nephews wow. um, of the of the seven children. You ain't got I, time to have kids of your own. <laughs> I don't have time. But then, of course, my job, I tell people all the time, I, I have 50 of my own kids, you That's know, right. uh, all, all the time that I have to keep up with and, and things like that. Yep. Yeah, so coming in, um, I think in high school, coming out of high school, yep. you kind of started planting your your seeds in the ministry. Right, right. So I knew, I hear stories from my grandmother. She was my roommate and best friend. She died last year right after COVID, um, 90, almost 98 years old. Love seeing the videos you post of her. She's yeah. she's a, my rock star. And, and she would always, uh, we were just, you know, I could tell her everything, one, because she was old and had no judgment. But then the other thing is she would hold on to everything she, I would tell her. And then out of the blue, she would have some advice. Or I think you should do this with this information. And one of the things I remember when I was younger, she would always say, well, you don't have to do it like everybody else. Because growing up and, um, you know, it gets me emotional thinking about it. Growing up, I think a lot of people in my, I graduated in 2007. And now it's way worse that people have this comparison game, yeah. you know, and I was playing football, but I'm look, man, I was, I was, I'd rather be on a tractor for eight hours than be in a locker room. Right. And I'd rather make a few hundred dollars a day than trade time for money at a restaurant or working for somebody else. And I was struggling with that through high school because I was taking care of these 30 horses and I was doing this thing and doing cutting grass and landscaping. And the worst thought in my mind was go to college and be stuck there for four years and all this stuff. And I'm not anti-education. I'm all about learning. And I just knew I needed to learn different. Yeah. And I wanted to learn different. And coming out of high school, I really felt, um, I mean, a, a huge calling to work with people and whatever that looked like. I had no idea. Um, so I started doing the college thing, running a couple of my own businesses, and really started to find out who I was personally. And then no one told me that when I was in high school and college. You got to figure out who you are before you can help people figure out who they are. Yeah. 
And that's where I was kind of was in this weird identity crisis trying to figure out who is Luke Ayers. And I would say this even now, more recent, I got to be okay with who Luke Ayers is. You know, and that was kind of a a long journey uh, for me as well. Yeah, so she instilled in you, you know, you don't have to do it like everybody else. Right. Like It is my story. That's right. It is my story and let God write my story. And then now people push me because my life and my story, we can't fit it into this uh, episode. But man, uh, I I write down a lot of my stories um, because I've been all over the world and dealt with more trauma than most people would in three lifetimes. Um, uh, Just worst case scenarios, trauma personally, but then also um, what I do now for a living. You know, we deal with trauma on a day-to-day basis. So um, I've realized, and I'm totally okay with my story is my story, and it's going to be different than your story. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So 16 years out of high school, what that first year out of high school look like? What'd you do? So, man, first year out of high school, I ever thought I was crazy because – I, when I was in high school, it was kind of the first time where you could do some college courses while in high school. Um, and all I heard was this. If you work a little extra, you can finish school early. I didn't care what it meant. That's all I heard. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up for it. So I graduated at age 17, um, and I just started working. I was running uh, a little landscape business and uh, started doing, I mean, I guess now you could call it consulting. I was so passionate about seeing people become successful. I just started literally like being a referral guy. I was known as, I don't know, call Luke Ayers. I don't have someone for this, call Luke Ayers. So then I just started kind of branding myself as the guy who knew a guy. And what I was trying to set myself up for was to help as many people as possible while not having to go get a job. And I know it almost sounds like, all right, go back to your friends and family. I would say stuff like that. They're like, oh, you're just lazy. I was like, I don't want to get a job and I don't want to go to college. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not going to get a job. I'm not going to go to college. And then I learned um, that I didn't know anything about business. And I was just burning a lot of bridges. You? You're 18 years old. How, how are you going to know anything about business? I did not know anything. Yeah. And I had to fail. Um, yeah. I had to fail. And I... Wasn't feeling it then, I can say it boldly now, is I tried to set people up where they got to fail a few times. Otherwise, they'll never learn. Um, And I failed pretty miserably at a couple of things personally in business. Um, So I started going to work for Chick-fil-A. And I learned everything I knew about business, customer service, how to show up on time. I mean, you think about that, like I was a punk 17-year-old who thought I was the stuff, you know, and like... Then your boss says, hey, if you show up late one more time, I don't care if your cat died or you have a flat tire. You won't have a job anymore. And, you know, and this was my like, this was my small group leader at church, but he was also my boss. Yeah. And he was the first one that taught me, you got to separate excuses in business. You got to separate your feelings in business. Because, yeah. and he would tell me this, he would point to this, you know, single 60 year old lady who never had a job in her life, who's there every day on time, but her husband passed away of cancer and she has to work now. Her first job, she got at 59 years old. He goes, what is she think she's going to show up when she hits a flat tire? Well, yeah, she's not going to call. You know, but a 17-year-old punk kid, I had to learn these lessons, you know, doing this. And I will say this. I had eight siblings. My dad taught me a lot. And now we work together. And he's my hero. Um, but life was busy. And I didn't learn a lot from my family and my parents back then. Um, and I'll say this. I learned a lot of what I didn't want. There was a lot going on in my family. I was like, okay, I'm going to write that down in my mind. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have the same struggles as some of my family did. Because you grow up in a small family, we're really poor, um, but we never went without what we needed. So the first year and then second year after high school, um, because of Chick-fil-A, I made a connection. And I started going to a small college here in Georgia. Started taking online at West Georgia. um, And I could keep making money. And that was kind of another pride thing as a young 18-year-old is I was making the same amount of money and I was ahead in school than all my friends who used to make fun of me who were like, oh, you're staying home. We're going to college. I ended up doing better in school, making the dean's list. And then I realized the term, and you know this, Nick, busy people get stuff done. Yeah, It's not about being busy, but it's about being productive. So that's kind of where I went in that direction. Yeah. 
So Chick-fil-A gave you a great foundation. Oh, huge. Of, well, you learned at home what you didn't want. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And then at Chick-fil-A, you they gave you structure, discipline, hard work, Yeah, respect. and then I would even say, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, how did they trust me to do these things? I mean, I was 18 years old. Back then, Chick-fil-A, people had to wear ties. I was 18 years old, wearing a tie, and like managing outside sales. So like every public high school um, in our county was buying sandwiches and every school and every party and every business did their catering through us. And I had the van and I was delivering it and all this stuff. To no, them. they knew what they were doing. They saw a kid with personality. That's right. They don't, they don't want to get somebody with personality in the kitchen. Right. You know, they want them out. And I was, I mean, I'll tell you, I was the best lemon squeezer, the best dishwasher and the best breader. I had to have a stool cause I was five foot four. <laughs> I had a stool to bread chicken in the kitchen. And then, uh, I even, this is a side note I brag on sometimes. I also got Chick-fil-A Cow of the Year Award three years in a row. Are you a mascot? I was a mascot. I was a mascot. mascot. And I love it. Um, I love being in that character. Um, And then it led to, fast forward, coming to the end of Chick-fil-A, I loved it so much. I just needed to get out. I I felt like still, even doing outside sales, I was still confined to that store because it's a business, right? So I wanted to go broader. So I started doing grand openings all over the country. And then my favorite job with Chick-fil-A was working for the Kathy family, um, which was working at their farm and hosting Christian events and working with the orphanage. So I was like getting paid by Chick-fil-A. Like I had a Chick-fil-A name tag, but I get to work and we're the Kathys all the time. And um, and that led to doing football operations, which is the Peach Bowl, you know, the big Chick-fil-A bowl on New Year's Eve. Um, and that's kind of I transitioned out of that um, uh, towards my last year of management. And it was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So then you, you leave Chick-fil-A and yeah. you start kind of, kind of going around. Cause I remember just a few years ago having lunch with you Yeah. and you're like, I'm in discipleship. Right. Like I take, you know, young people and I disciple them, mm-hmm. you know, cause I've always been told leadership is providing a path for people. Right. But the mentorship is walking that path with them. And that's something you do every day is you walk a path yeah. with these young men and women that, you know, you do lead. Yeah. And I would say, um, you know, over the years and different things, I've kind of switched what I do. Um, but discipleship, I think, has to happen with people who have a faith. You know, they have to have some type of faith in their creator to be discipled because I think discipleship equals duplication. That's something I coined about three or four years ago. Um, but mentorship doesn't always duplicate. So I make it very clear when I meet with a young person or a young business entrepreneur or somebody, I'm like, all right, let's figure out, are we doing mentorship or discipleship? Because in discipleship, I want to be able to train someone to duplicate what we're doing and keep it going. I I even would say to one guy, I'll say, hey, I discipled you. Are you discipling anybody? And they're like, no, I'm not discipling anybody. I'm like, then I didn't disciple you. I mentored you. That's right. Because if it doesn't duplicate, it wasn't real discipleship. Um, And then the mentorship piece is also kind of an easier route for me because I don't have to walk for years and years and years. But it's also a hard part for me because when you see people duplicate and be discipled, you get to see the fruit of your labor. Yeah. Does that make sense? So like even me and meeting you guys years ago, like we get to see different seasons of life. We get to see struggles. We get to see success. So that's to me the fun part of what I do. Um, and then the the other side of that is, you know, personally relationships, people who lived in my house, um, young men and young ladies that I've mentored and discipled. You know, when you get, uh, my dad always said, don't open your heart all the way you'll get a lot of hurt. The more you open, the more hurt you got. Amen to that. <sighs> and and I have done, um, I've done more than 20 funerals of personal students, people under the age of 25. Wow. Um, and the youngest boy was 10 years old who had some mental health problems and uh, took his own life. And um, so on the traumatic side, when you open your heart to people and people um, pass away, you know, you have the joy if they had faith in Jesus that where they are for eternity, but then you have these families and people that need to be mentored and discipled and, and shepherd, you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of had that role, um, not by choice, but God kind of opened that up as, as that has happened. And, and I even got into counseling myself. That's a selfless plug. Anyone who deals with any human being, 
should some at some point have counseling, you know, because uh, I, I had to figure out over years that it's OK to not be OK. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of taught on accident that, like, you, you got to have it all together. You know, whether you're a dad or whether you're a mom or whether you're a coach or whether you're a youth pastor, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Sometimes we, ha- especially as a man, the pride in us, we want to like hold it together. You know, it's all good. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. good. Yeah. And I even say, I'm good. You're good mindset. And it's like, hey, I'm good. God, me and God are good. Like we're all good. And I'm like, man, deep down, I am not good. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I had to find some places, and that's why I said, you know, keeping your your circle small has has helped me build trust deep um, in entrepreneurship and in marketing and and all the things I used to do, I wanted this many relationships, like it's huge, wide, shallow relationships. And then I've learned that I wanted very few relationships and let those go deep. And that's how I've kept my circle real small. Um, And it also, it's funny when like, whether drama comes up or, or the favorite most recently is when rumors get started. Um, Usually they don't spread too much because we laugh about them. You know, I always think that like things that are exposed into from darkness into light and, you know, the Bible teaches that, that things that are exposed in the light can't live. You know, you can't, mold does not live in sunlight. It only survives in dark places. And man, when you hear a rumor come up and you just expose it and like talk about it, like it's not a rumor, like, oh, like whatever, man, it just goes away and we laugh about it. But if your circle's big, you have people that start to lose trust in you. You know, and you have people that like start to like get worried, like what if 50% of that's true? You know, and I, I've asked someone, I had someone call me about a week ago. Like, man, I heard this said about you or whatever. Is any of that true? I said, let me ask you a question first. If it is true, then what? If all of it's true, what? And I want to know what their response was. And they didn't have a response. I said, you call me back when you have your response. <laughs> because if it is true, I want to know who, what your response is. Even if obviously you're calling me, so you're worried about it. Yeah, you know, you're worried about it. You're yeah. pretty worried yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and yeah, and I'm I'm worried about you, but I'm just trying to get the intel. I just want the <laughs> intel so I can tell the person that told me about yeah. it what's yeah. what's true or not. And I was like, you know, but then this is what the other people, you know. So I got off that phone call. I call someone in my actual inner circle, and I call them. I was like, hey, guess what? This was said. I didn't even tell them who said it. I guess this was said. And they started laughing. I'm like, that's crazy. We've heard that before, you know? Yeah. And that's just what happens when you're, if you're not careful. Um, and then I've, I've kind of noticed this in some of my leaders in my life is um, people want to talk about people they're jealous of or people that's doing something right. So as long as people are talking about me, making up lies or, or, don't like my attitude, you know, because I'm 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 I am me. And then I even noticed this. Y'all probably dealt with this in business is when you're OK with who you are, the people who aren't OK with who they are, they're the ones that like you expose them. Yeah. You expose their so downfalls. True. You expose. I'm like, uh, I had an ex-girlfriend ask me, well, aren't you ex- like worried about the skeletons in your closet being exposed? I'm like, man, my skeletons are on the front page of the paper. I've been arrested. I've been in the 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 uh, what do you call them? The the little was arrested yesterday in all the pawn shops. Yeah. I have a friend who owns a pawn shop in another county. <laughs> he sent me a picture of it. He goes, he goes, look what's hanging up in my pawn shop, you know. And I told him, I was like, man, I'm okay with who I am, my failures and successes. And when you're okay with that and you're down to talk about it, I've learned it, it kind of exposes people who aren't okay. Yeah. With all their stuff. Because you know who you are deep down and you know what your mission and your purpose is. So with that purpose and mission, you planted something that was something in your heart in Noonan yeah. called Hope Global. Yeah, Hope Global Initiative. That's right. And so explain to people what Hope Global Global does. Like sure. what's the mission statement? Where is it at? What yeah. do you do? So um, uh, Hope Global Initiative was, was f- founded seven years ago with myself and my father, Um, My dad would say he thought 30 years ago, well, now it's been like 35 years ago, he moved to Noonan uh, to, to, he, you know, God called him to Noonan for him to start a church or whatever. Fast forward, he realized it was for us to start Hope Global. It just took him about 30 years to get going. And I kind of encouraged him. I said, you also had to wait till I was ready. True. If he would have came to me 10 years ago when I was making a ton of money 
and I owned three LLCs working on two more and I was doing marketing and I had side money and I had side chicks and I was traveling the world. 10 years ago, I would have I would have laughed at him like, here, just send me the the number. I'll donate some. What's your 501c3? I'll donate you some money, you know, and he waited and was obedient. So we started seven years ago and it came out of me working for the state. So I was working for the state of Georgia, um, working uh, to rehabilitate students who have been arrested um, in the different project areas or at-risk areas. Um, and it was called the Department of Juvenile Justice. And I would basically take these kids out into the wilderness, like in Pine Mountain and Warm Springs. Um, basically, we had we had freedom to go to any state park in Georgia. We had to keep our clients in Georgia. And we'd take them out for like four, five, six, seven months. Oh, wow. So it's not like a weekend trip. Mm-hmm. You know, one trip we had like what we call the worst case scenario. And we took these kids on a 10-day canoe trip down the Oltmulgee River all the way to Okefenokee Swamp. And these are kids coming from inner city, you know, LaGrange, inner city Atlanta, South Georgia in Savannah, Georgia in the projects. They're all coming together. So different cultures, different gangs, different upbringings, right? And a different female was always the common denominator. A different female raised them, either a sister, a mom, auntie, grandma, somebody raised them. And they're going with this white guy into the woods. There's an old saying y'all seen on social media, like this is some white people stuff, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And when I would tell them we're going down the Okefenokee swamp, down Oakmogee river, we're going to start in Macon, Georgia. And I went through a whole training of uh, venomous snakes and alligators. And they thought I was pranking them, like all this kind of stuff. Day one, we saw like 12 alligators in Macon, Georgia, you know? And they're like, oh my gosh, we're all going to die and all this stuff. And out of that, we saw a ton of results of rehabilitation, um, that kids commit crimes, not always because they're criminal, but because their home life, their desperation, boredom. I mean, we remember when we were all kids, like there's even stuff on social media now, like keep scrolling. This is for the boys. And it'll be like a grown man throwing a rock off a bridge just to see how big the splash is going to be. Yeah. Right. Well, a lot of kids get in trouble because they'll throw a rock in a window or or shoot a paintball gun at a dog or do things that should not be done. It's illegal. You can't do that. But really, we're going to incarcerate them or we're going to be a positive role model in their life. Um, and then I will just be really transparent. I started seeing that when I was working for the state, uh, we were putting a Band-Aid on a situation that was bleeding out. Yeah, It was not working fast enough. So I decided the only way I could do what we're doing is be preventative. So we started the nonprofit Hope Global Initiative. One of our main mission statements is to help the next generation understand – that their dreams can actually become a reality. It's terrible grammar uh, because the word actually should not be in that sentence. And I've had board members, mentors, uh, sisters, one of my five sisters in marketing, like, you got to take that word out of there. It's like, nope, not happening. Because I had a student say, I don't think my dreams will actually ever happen. And we, we made our mission statement. You know, and my dad and I stuck to that, that they can actually become a reality. And the first thing we help with a student, whether it's a small goal of, you know, getting a grade from pa- uh, failing to passing so they can play Friday night lights on a football field. Like those are small goals. Right. But we take a big dream and then we put a date on it. And I say a dream is something you do while you're sleeping or while you're sitting on the toilet. You daydream or you dream while you're asleep. My dreams and your dreams only happen when we put a date on it. Then it becomes a goal. So we even started doing little things. um, And and it's heartbreaking because, like, you know, you have this one kid who says, my dream and goal is to be in the NFL, right? Um, And he's 17 years old and he's five foot five and weighs like 90 pounds. Like, brother, it ain't happening. I don't think it's happening. (laughs) So let's go with Mm -hmm. some, what I say, let's go with some goals and dreams that we could do now. And we write him down all this stuff. And one of his like biggest dreams, and he was trying to explain it. And I was like, he has really bad writing and he still has write some of his letters backwards. And he's probably on, because after COVID, people just like, you made it to the next grade. They didn't really get to the next grade. They just pushed them. They call it placing them in the next grade. Um, And his big goal and dream is to have a meal with his family. And I was like, well, explain what you mean. He was like, you know, like a table. Like you see on TV, like a table and everybody's sitting around and all the food's on the table. And he's describing this thing that I do every Sunday with my family. And this was like 
of all the things he could think of. And that clicks again. I live in a third world country. This kid does not have a table in their apartment. Well, they don't have a table. So if the NFL won't do, I just want to have dinner, Sunday dinner with my family. Because even that seems a little bit unreachable. Yeah. All right. All right. But I have to be careful. I uh, started doing some research and reading this book of helping people till it hurts them. Because, look, I could come to your house in your basement and you could donate that old card table that you don't ever use. Right. And I could ask you for a $50 gift card to go buy them some dinner and we'll just have it. They're like, we can make that goal happen tonight. Yeah. How dare me, the guy from out of town, take that work, that effort, that failure, that learning away from him because I can pull it off today. That's not, I'm glad no one did that for me. I'm glad no one just gave me money or built me a house. Like, we're not going to do that. So the first thing, and he's actually, we're out working this morning when he gets off school, he's going to change the oil on my push mower and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to let him rent my push mower because it's grass cutting season already. And we're going to let him start making money and he's going to buy the dinner and he's going to buy the table. And he's, you know, we're going to probably buy it at Goodwill. You get a sense of accomplishment when he does it. And he's, I can't wait till he fails and doesn't put the right gas in there, right? And tears up the mower that he's going to have to buy. Because I've done it. I tore up a $20,000 trailer before because I was lazy and made a mistake and wrecked it. Like he's going to have to fail some. So all I can do is teach him and he's going to have to learn. But I can't wait. And he's got a date on it. It's, it's, well, it's not really day. He put before school's up. So he's got like two more months, 60 days to be able to raise the money, buy a table, have dinner at his house, you know, and this is a real goal he wants to do. Not to mention he's 12 years old. So he, he he's also working hard every how, day. Like a kid like that, how did he even get in your program? So we opened up a youth center in Noonan, Georgia in an underserved community in the middle of the projects. Um, who Super Bowl Sunday Four years ago, we opened it up. Super Bowl Sunday, we opened up, and literally, we just turned it on, opened it up, 5,000 square foot, video games, big screen TVs everywhere, and when we were doing it, raising money and trying to open it, you know, you have all these people that want to give away, like, their couch that's in their garage that the dogs sleep on. I'm like, no, 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 no. You can go buy me a new $900 couch. You can go buy me a new 65-inch TV. I don't want the big ones that you don't like. I want it all done because I learned this in a big family with eight kids. I know, and everybody else knows when you're wearing hand-me-downs. Everybody knows it, especially the person who's wearing it, right? And I did not want these kids who have always been handed down crap that nobody else wants. They're not walking into my youth center and going, hmm, nice, all the church people's leftover stuff. I wanted all new stuff. So when we opened it up, no one believed we would actually do it. No one believed it. And when they walk in there and there's lights and LEDs and big screen TVs everywhere and ping pong, you know, it's just a youth center. That's all it is. Man, I could open that place seven days a week, 20 hours a day is full. Last night, we had 20 guys there till 10 o'clock and they just walk off the street because the other thing is inside's open till seven, six or seven, but the basketball court is open 24 hours a day and it's got lights and cameras that come on when it gets dark. So we had guys there all the way into the night and if they were not there, they would be somewhere. They wouldn't be at home. They would not be at home. They would not be in the apartments. Um, and, I mean, we have – we just had a big shooting, uh, a, a homicide um, last weekend. And, um, you know, it's a dangerous neighborhood, but it's also like people are just bored and have yeah. nothing to do. And they don't have money to go anywhere. Um, you know, they call a downtown historic area. They call it uptown. A lot of our kids call it uptown. Uh, and it stays lit in Noonan, Georgia all year round. Lots of Christmas lights all year round. And uh, so sometimes if they earn a trip or we earn a we'll go up to Carvela's in Noonan and they'll love going uptown, you know, and, and, and it's been really cool partnering with different businesses and different things in town for kids who could earn what we call a trip. But sometimes it's just going uptown and that that counts as a trip. So answer your question, you know, this was just young men who saw the basketball court. It doesn't matter. I've learned this because we have youth centers in other countries as well that we partnered with and we've opened up in, in different parts of the world. And it translates in every culture, every uh, language, it doesn't matter. You show it with something recreational, and you show up with some trust. Like, you show up and you're like, there's no agenda. It translates. People just want to be a part of something like yeah. that. And we've done that everywhere we go. We show up either with a – depending on the culture. Uh, here, it's basketball. We show up basketball, and we put up new goals, new nets. Um, when we go down to Nicaragua, we have four youth centers down there. 
we go with food and soccer ball, you know, because those kids are so poor they eat. I mean, they don't eat. So we actually feed. Uh, we just hit a number of 75,000 in the year 2022. Uh, we fed 20, uh, 75,000 plates uh, to the kids there in Nicaragua in this little town. Um, and our big goal for 2023 is to start construction on a soccer facility. We'd like to have a soccer camp there versus like here is so much different. And that's where I had to learn and fail is here in Georgia. All our kids at our youth center, they have free breakfast, free lunch. Yeah. Because of Michelle Obama has the no kid left behind. So they have subsidized breakfast and lunch. So I'm trying to create a summer program because mom is used to, or auntie or grandma, whoever's raising them. They're used to, uh, budgeting free breakfast free lunch right until spring break happens now there's no breakfast and lunch right and mom's still at work and the summer comes so those three months that's a huge different thing like i I tell people all the time when i'm raising funds or telling stories i'm like just imagine for the summer y'all take a vacation every week and your budget for groceries triples for the whole summer well, a lot of people just wouldn't have – they wouldn't be able to pay their bills. And yep. that's that's a legitimate thing with inflation right now is because not only did the price triple, but when summer comes, their grocery bill triples because the kids aren't getting free breakfast, free lunch, you know, which is a whole nother – whole scenario I'm trying to try to learn this year. <laughs> yeah. Another another thing to learn. Yeah. How do you, how do you get funded? Well, um, right now uh, I'm the only fundraiser. Um, I just – we are funded by individuals and businesses. Businesses, I say that is businesses, churches, or individuals who own a business, if that makes sense. So like one of our monthly donors as an individual um, who's been donating to our nonprofit since day one for seven years, but then three years ago, he started a business. So now his business is doing it because his business needed the tax write-off more than he did. So it's kind of a strategic thing on his end. Um, And that kind of launched us to like, going to some churches, you know, and things like that. We don't have any funding source, so no grant funds us on a regular basis, and nobody donates, like, none of our donors donate, you know, $1,000 a month, what we call a big donor, right? Nobody donates a, 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 to a point where I could say, oh, this business or this church funds us. Um, it's strictly fundraising, and then we'll do campaigns. So we do Giving Tuesday where we try to raise ten thousand, we'll do end of year giving, where we try to raise fifty thousand. But what that does is we go to businesses and individuals who need their tax write off, and that kind of funds the next year, is if that makes sense. Um, and then we'll do a golf tournament. Um, but a lot of times that's exposure more than fundraising. Um, we'll raise three or four thousand dollars, but to do a big golf tournament it takes ten thousand dollars. You know, so it kind of will profit a little bit. Um, this year will be the first year, year eight, where we will have passive income. So one of the four things that we do is affordable housing. And we hope we pass inspection today, actually this morning, and hopefully we will have renters in April 1st into a duplex. So we'll have single um, African-American moms who were stranded from the tornado in Noonan uh, two years ago. And it's taken us a while to build them. But hopefully we'll first, it won't be a lot of money, but... It'll be passive income for the first time. And we'll see how that goes. And if it works great, we'll try to do it again. And in 2024, do a big campaign and try to raise money and build another place because we're doing two things at once. One, we're doing affordable housing in a in a society and place in the world right now that that word doesn't exist. The word affordable doesn't really exist. Yeah. So today, right before I came here, um, I was on the phone call doing an interview with this single mom who wants to rent. And uh, she was like stressed out about like, well, this is a brand new house. I, and we know the going rents, you know, $1,700 a month. I was like, well, what are, you, what are you paying right now? And she was she told me the number and it was under $1,000. I was like, well, we're at a place for the first year. We're going to cut your rent in half from what you're paying. So it's very subsidized. We don't call it affordable because yeah. that depends on how much money you make. Yeah, You know, but this is a single mom. Another lady is uh, 65 years old. She doesn't have a job. She just got her uh, SSI or early Social Security. So she has no income. So hers will be subsidized. And the way we're able to do this is because by the time we get our final inspection, which will be Monday, we hope to have the whole place paid off. Does that make sense? So we'll have two rentable 
apartments that are completely paid off. So whatever subsidized rent they can afford, it's passive income. So if it works, again, keyword, if it works, we hope to duplicate that again in 2024. How many people do you have on staff? Uh, we just hit the benchmark of four, which okay. means I got to get workman's comp. <laughs> I learned that in my grant writing and all this stuff. It's like, if you have more than three employees, you got to have workman's comp. So that'll be another, what I call another bill I got to raise money for. Because uh, God blessed us and we have grown. We have myself as the executive director. We have another guy who basically is the program director and helps with the the youth center. Um, and then I have a full-time guy who uh, we call them all the time because what is full-time and what is part-time? They're salary. Um, in nonprofit world, you go two directions. You're either a full-time salary person, so you work 80 hours a week and get paid for f- half of that, you know, or you're 1099 contractor, um, which is really a direction that's easier for the nonprofit because a contractor, I don't have to pay their taxes or their workman's comp, but they're just contractors. But for me, um, right now in our board and where we're at, we're able to really take care of these young um, people that are in their 20s who are working for us. And if we're going to expand, you know, we'll just have to raise more money. And we always say that uh, we have the biggest giver and the biggest donator, and we have access to God's bank account. So whatever's going to come next, God's going to have to figure it out. I get to steward it. God put me in charge to steward it. But if he wants it to happen, he's going to have to figure that out, you know. Okay. Um, and and that's we're learning. Uh, people in COVID lost a lot of money and, and a lot of things happened. We actually raised more money during COVID because a lot of people were generous. Um, and uh, we hit a, a benchmark where it's like, okay, I can pretty much go full time now. And so we have two full-time guys and two part-time people. And uh, maybe next year we'll we'll see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when guys come in, you're just wanting to give them some hope. You're just trying to say, right. all right, let me know. Because, you know, what we were talking about earlier today is like, you can be anything you want. You yeah. follow your dreams, follow your heart. And then all of a sudden life happens and it's like, ah, don't get yeah. your hopes up too much, right? That's Man, a if you're for all the listeners, I'm going to get in trouble with this. For all the listeners that are listening to this podcast episode today, stop listening to people who tell you don't get your hopes up. And what's, what's hard about that is it's going to be the one person that you look up to the most. For me, it was my coach. It was my mom. It was my girlfriend at the time. You know, my dad said it like, your husband, your wife might say it. Someone wants to encourage you. And they pat you on the leg and say, like, now don't get your hopes up. Versus my grandma, she was built different. You know, <laughs> she was built different. And she raised us different. My grandmother hit me on the back and say, you need to get your hopes up. It don't have to be like everybody else. And that was ingrained in my head. And man, I can't tell you how annoying, depressing, and it's just frustrating how many people in our world today will actually tell a young person, don't get your hopes up. Something happens, you know, when you're a kid, everyone's telling you that you can be a firefighter and an astronaut and the NFL and all this kind of stuff. And you get your driver's license and they want you to be careful. And they want you to like start taking practice ACTs and don't get your hopes up and, you know, be safe and do this and like all these things. And I'm like, man, that is the opposite is what, so I joke with my parents all the time. I'm like, man, you lied to me for the first 10 years, you know? And I tell people, be careful the, uh, the games you play with your kids, you know? Like I, I met this one kid recently who was actually traumatized and mortified, nine years old, because he found out that Santa Claus was not real. He found out that his parents, grandparents, friends, auntie, uncle, Everyone has been lying to him his whole life. And he's having an identity crisis. He doesn't even want to ask about all the other ones. Now, that's my own opinion. But like my house, Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, all this stuff, they go right along with like Cinderella, Pinocchio. You know, they just go around with it. It's fun. Like you can play with kids and it's fun. Hey, I'm 40 years old and I've always been told you don't believe, you don't receive. Right. But the thing is, is like, Think about of anybody who has kids playing t-ball, anybody who has kids, uh, you know, playing some sport. Um, my house growing up, we didn't get last place trophies. Like, like my dad would not let us bring like things into the house just because we participated. My dad growing up is like, well, that's not my job, and I didn't do that. He goes, no, 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 you live in this house. It is your job. 
So there's five girls and three boys. That didn't mean like boys cut grass and girls do the clothes. No, we live in this house. It's a team effort. And the results that we get from being a team are the results we get to deal with. Um, And I I see it's such frustrating thing. It's so demasculating as an adult man and even as a kid when a coach or a dad will say something like, come on now, don't hit like a girl. You're running like a girl. It's so demasculating. And I'm sitting there going, what are you talking about? My my five sisters, they will kill all your boys. Like my (laughs) sisters were basketball players, softball players. Like if I wish I could hit like one of my sisters, you know, I wish I could throw a football like one of my sisters, but it's so demasculating. And then when you have the culture that we have now, it's like, you don't even know what the word masculine means. And I forget, uh, uh, I think it's so dangerous for us to be careful to define what a man is when I think a man and a woman is so truthful and what it is. And, and I'm not even talking about sexually, but like, what does it mean to be a man? And that's the thing I'm fighting the most in our youth center is like, um, they've never been taught. Like some of my kids have never been taught the struggle of having to apologize to somebody. I mean, I have a employee that I had to have the conversation with today. He goes, well, I didn't do anything that owes them an apology. I said, I know that. But that person came to me and thinks you're mad at them. Yeah. So even though you didn't mean to hurt them, you hurt them and you owe them an apology. And before you see them again face to face and it's awkward, you need to clear the air. You need to apologize. Because sometimes apologies or forgiveness is not for the other person, it's for us. Yeah. You know? And I think that's the biggest culture shock that I'm dealing with right now is uh, growing up in a solid family with my dad in the house and my mom, who's my superhero, and my grandmother and my great-grandmother. Uh, crazy story. Uh, my family's a big family. My mom's in her 60s and is a great-grandmother already. So at one time... We had my great-grandmother, my grandmother, who was in her 90s, my mom, my oldest sister, who's in her 40s, my niece, who's in her 20s, who has two kids. So you're talking about six generations alive and healthy. Yeah. You go to talk to one of my neighbors, who I ask about her mom, and she can give me a few memories. And I was like, well, what about your kids? Well, my kids have passed away. I outlived them. Well, what about your grandmother? I don't know where she was from. She's it. She can't remember her grandmother, and she has no generations below her. That's it. That's the difference sometimes in impoverished culture and not impoverished culture. That's the difference in white culture or black culture. I'm learning, like, our history um, in in the world is all written down. A lot of people's history is all oral. So when that person dies, history's over. No more, mm-hmm. no more story. So that's another big thing I'm trying to learn for this year is to figure out how to document a lot that's going on um, because I think it is duplicatable what we're doing, but I also want to be careful because uh, I always tell people this is my calling and my passion. Um, and that word passion is not always a good thing. Uh, John Mark Comer, he says that passion is how much suffering yep. can you endure? And a lot of times people are like, let's be passionate. I'm like, are you sure? Because with compassion comes suffering. That's exactly right. I heard uh, Tim Tebow say that. He said, you know, when you hear the word passion, people are like excited and right, 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 fired right. up. He's like, no, passion goes back. Right. I can be excited with a bang energy drink. Yeah. You know, like I could be excited. Uh, someone the other day saw me drink coffee for the first time. And they were like, Do you, I didn't know you drink coffee. I was like, I don't really like coffee. I like the way it makes me feel, you know. And you can be excited and do a lot of stuff. But passion means you've been through hell and back. Yep. If you have passion... You have been through hell and back, which is also why, like, I've always learned Les Brown's one of my favorite of of saying, like, you, you only you, you only quit. You only you only fail if you quit. Like, I'm not going to fail. I just learn how not to do something. That's right. You know, exactly. It's been crazy. So what's next for um for you guys? You guys plan on going to other cities? I'm, I know I'm, you're in other countries now. I'm going to retire at age 34 and a half. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I always thought when I was making a lot of money that I, I was going to, what's that, some book about working for four hours a week or something like that? It's a crock. You know, sold a lot of books, but nobody who's changing the world um, or, or really helping people um, wants to just quit. One of my mentors is 88 years old. And uh, Dr. Jack, he's incredible because he can keep up with me. He'll wake up early. He'll go out to the farm. He'll sit with kids. He'll, he, he does a lot for us. 
and he has retired twice as a doctor. Once private practice and then second working for the state. And he says, when you outlive everybody, you just keep working, you know, and, and for next for us is to figure out what we do well, which we, I think we do four things really well, what we do well and do it better. Because I think where we're at right now as an organization, we're doing things pretty decent, but we're not doing anything excellent. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, you, you talk about Chick-fil-A. We read Truett Cathy's book. And, yeah. and the book was talking about, you know, how they were collaborating. They were trying to really expand Chick-fil-A. Like, yeah. How do we grow? And Mr. Truett, the old man, just stopped them all. Yeah. He said, if we get better we won't have to worry about the growth right? if we get better. And that's when they implemented my mm-hmm. pleasure. That's when they implemented the, you know, the, the standalone stores. Yeah. With the, standalone you know, stores, second mile service. Yeah. With the, with the, yes. Like, you know, coming, filling up your mm-hmm. drinks and everything. They got better. They exploded, you know, and, it, and it's the same thing in our lives. It's like, you know, when, when I'm having a pity party, mm-hmm. I got to look at myself and, and take full ownership yeah. of where I'm at, where I'm thinking, what my situation is, because it's easy to point, right? Yeah. It's so easy to. I could come up with so many excuses mm-hmm. that are true, yeah. right? Yep. That are true. But when you take full ownership, and I think, you know, what, what you guys are doing as far as, you know, especially men, I mean, yeah. I know you got girls there as well, but I do believe that it's, you know, origin for man to lead right for man to lead i do believe that i think a man should lead his household yeah um you know i I think that's where that's his number one priority is to lead his household he needs to lead his wife Mm -hmm. you know and 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 obviously his kids but but yeah that's that's really good it's just you know you getting better yourself uh everything else will take care of itself right and i would say you know that's been hard um (laughs) i got about i could name from memory about 75 kids you know, we have a ton. We have 300 kids in the neighborhood, but 75 consistent all the time. And out of the 75, I personally know about three dads. Three dads out of 75 kids. And that's, I did not realize, people talk about pandemics. It's been going on for a while. Absolutely. And this pandemic of men not leading, um, <clears throat> I've, I've read some research recently of how cities, governments, plan for construction of jails for prisons and prison construction they get it two data points how many men are in the home currently and the reading level of a fourth grader that if someone can not read past fourth grade reading level mixed with a father's not in the home that's how they do a 10-year construction plan isn't that crazy it's crazy so I told someone, I was like, we're getting rid of the computers. I told someone this, like, hey, what are you going to do? I said, we're building some bookshelves. All 75 of my kids are freaking going to read. Yeah. And we started partnering with Juvenile Court. And I started asking, why are all these young kids having to go to Juvenile Court at 13 years old, 12 years old, so they don't have an advocate? All right? I told the judge, I need you to meet me, and I'll just say this, and he's he and I are friends now. But I came in, and I said, well, my goal is to keep 100 kids from coming to your courtroom. And I had these people and started laughing. And I closed my freaking laptop and I said, I think I'm in the wrong table. I'm sorry. Like, you don't impress me. But if you don't think, and he said, Mr. Ayers, hold on, calm down. You know, don't get offended. Let me explain something to you. We don't try to stop things and prevent things. We try to slow them down. I said, so what do you mean? He said, I saw 300 juveniles last year. And he goes, let me just tell you this. If what you're saying actually happens, he used my, my trigger word. He goes, if it actually happens... He said juvenile courts in New York, Chicago, L.A., Memphis, Tennessee are going to want to know what we're doing. He goes, because nowhere in the country does it go backwards. We just try to slow it down and manage it. He goes, so if our numbers go from 300, preventing 100 next year. And if you're telling me through community service, outdoor therapy, and better environments, safe environments, you're telling those, me those numbers are going to go down? He goes, you better be knowing, you know, you better have a way to duplicate it. I was like, all right. You're being proactive and not reactive. Right. And it was, it was shocking because I thought like helping a hundred kids, I didn't think that was going to be like astronomical, but it was a number big enough that made the juvenile court plus department of juvenile justice, plus all their assistants. It was a conference table full of people. They all started laughing when I said the number, because what's funny is I asked them for a number first. 
And the judge was like, well, give me your number. What's your number? How many kids you want to help? Well, it's funny because like, I already have 50 in my folder. Like, We already have 50 folders. We're ready to buy more folders. Like, We're already helping 50 kids. So to me, like, we'll hit 100 by the end of this year. So to me, it's like the more people, the more money we can raise, the but more I, we can But I can help. totally see where that group of people, they're almost numb to their process. They are. They're, they're numb to seeing it, and they see a young kid that's uh-huh. like all excited, like, okay, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and he thinks he's and really going to make a difference. Well, and I learned the numbers because in our town, just in our county, we have 700 nonprofits. And 700 nonprofits, these are real numbers, 700 registered nonprofits, nobody's doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Out of those 700 nonprofits in our county, 150 of them are churches. And I won't go down there. That's for episode another day. <laughs> but 150 churches in our county, and four of them are helping us do what we do. Yeah. So that's another whole epidemic yeah. of... Where people, I, I was willing to put money where my mouth is. And I think now that I've done it seven years, there's a whole thing, and y'all have heard this in business, that 10 years is the test of time. If next year I start planning our 10-year anniversary, I think people will start to believe me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think a few people have believed me. I feel like guys like y'all have believed in me, right? And and in our town, and now that we've also done it in different places of the world, it's kind of proof in the pudding. Um, and when we start, I, I told... uh uh, a guy the other day, I was like, hey, I want you to speak at my 10-year anniversary. We're going to start planning it this summer because that's not for two more years. But I'm like, hey, let's." I tell the kids all the time, have a vision board, start planning ahead. So this summer, we're going to start planning our 10-year anniversary because we actually believe we'll be there. And y'all know how fast two years will go by. That's right. Yeah. Quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. Yeah. So if somebody wants to, you know, help you guys out or check you out online and everything, how will they find you guys? Yeah, so we're... Uh, <laughs> Hope Global Initiative is the legal thing, uh, is our legal name. Um, we found out that people can't spell the word initiative. <laughs> so our website's really easy. It's just Hope Global Noonan. Um, if you Google those three words, we're the first 10 things that come up because we've been in the paper and we did a lot of tornado relief um, from Troop County, Meriwether County, all the way to Coweta County. Um, we did a lot with the, 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 the foundation and the Alan Jackson concert and things like that. So really easy to find. Um, I always tell people, I'm the most available person you'll ever meet. This is what I mean by that. I'm a very productive person, and I try to use every hour of the day I can. Um, But this is what I've learned. You tell people, like my cell phone number is on every website, every Instagram, every newspaper article, and people think I'm crazy. But this is what I know. People don't call you. You know that family member that's like, you ever come back in town, stop by? I tell people, I've told you that at your house. Be careful when you say that. I'll show up on the dock. Like people all the time will say that I put my number out on every Instagram, Facebook ad. It doesn't ring because people see that. They're like, man, that's crazy. I can't believe you. It doesn't. People don't want to be a part as much as they think they do. That's right. So I tell people I will be available. I will eat. I will let you invite me over and let and feed me. I'm still a single bachelor. Like I eat tuna fish and ramen noodles still, you know. Um, So it's easy to be in touch. But I will say this. I turn down churches and individual, not only their time, I also turn down their money. Um, and what I say that for any listener is you need to be willing to be a part of the four things we do. And if we don't do this, helping students, it's mentoring kids, it's being a, doing a, affordable housing. So whether that's volunteering your hours, your money, your efforts, your skill set, in-kind donations. I mean, I had one guy who donated literally all the lumber because he had it from building his house. He had all the lumber that we needed to build the back porches of our duplex. That was a huge, literally 15000 in-kind donation. And he was going to throw it away, you know, but he got a $15,000 donation from it. Um, and then the other is our outdoor therapy, which we have a farm. That's a whole other conversation down Milledgeville where we take these trips and, and, and there and we have hunting and fishing. And it's 230 acres that God's literally let us use. Um, and so I tell people, if you want to be a part of those four things, I'm all for it. Um, and then, of course, then there's the side of being hands-on. Which is, I tell people, you're going to have to be called. Yeah. Because if you're going to open your heart, you're going to have to go through me first. Because that's the one thing that I will not allow to happen is someone who thinks they want to be a part of something, and then a kid opens their heart, and they never see this person again. Yeah. I want people to be consistent in this person's life, and we have different levels of that. Like, we have one mentor. Um, he, he's a business mentor to this young, a senior in high school, and he meets with them once a month on FaceTime, another time a month. He just shoots him a text or something. It's a very low commitment, right? But I still ask this business owner, hey, if you're going to commit to 
you know, giving this kid some mentorship, I'm asking you to sponsor him at $100 a month so he actually sees some believing so I can help him do certain things and help him get to a place. And we're trying to get him and we're going to do a signing when he graduates high school because we're trying to get him a job like at a, a Niagara Water or Yamaha or a Kia, you know, somewhere that's just high school education with a GED, but he can start making $20 an hour as soon as he graduates, yep. you know, that kind of stuff. Because everybody wants to do the football signing where they put on the hat and the cameras are there or we're going to do workplace signing. You know, and have a huge party at our youth center. So anybody that's going to make a job, they already have a job offer. We're asking the president of the companies to come or like sales manager. Yes, yeah, a big deal. It's because huge. Time, we, we were talking about this before the podcast. Times are changing. They are. You know, it was our, our world coming up. Go to school, get an education, right? Mm -hmm. You got to have that piece of paper. Yeah. I, my, my oldest has a master's from the University of Georgia. Yeah. I'm glad she got it. She had a great time. She's yeah. got lifelong friendships, right? But with my other ones coming up, you know, 16, 13, and mm -hmm. 10, I'm not pushing school. And know? is the 10-year-old a boy? And my well, twins, boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. And so so my wife would 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 argue with me. <laughs> she would not say what I'm saying sure. right now. But school is not what it was. Mm -hmm. You know, if they want to, you know, I got two of them that play baseball. They'd be awesome. They go co sure. play college baseball, you know, learn things, you know, through athletics. But I would rather give them the money yeah. and start a business and fall on their face. Yeah. They'll learn more doing that than going and being, you know, X amount in debt from school or mm -hmm. um I just I think it's just not teaching. It's it's more of a brainwashing right. session. And I I probably need to shut up. <laughs> but but it is. I just really feel like it's not what it used to be. Yeah. And those salaries aren't taped to those degrees anymore. No, you know? no. I mean, there's people with masters that can't make over 45, 50 grand mm -hmm. a year. They're just not out there. No. You know? And I'll tell people all the time, like I have a young guy who works for me. I'll tell people all the time, go get a job, but start branding yourself and grow a business while someone else is paying you. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, don't do your job. Like someone's paying you, do what you're getting paid to do. But don't go do what you're not getting paid to do. So he's yeah. working with me and I'm like, dude, but you have Wednesdays and Fridays off. Like, you need to go brand yourself, make that extra money. Like, and he's so excited because he's like, he just paid off his first car. Yeah. And he's got 20000 in savings because he wants to buy another house. But he's been living in his first house for over a year. So now that first house can become a rental property. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, dude, you want to hurry up? Like, you're 23 years old. But I don't know why people always think the new way you can, it's the times are changing. It's not like the old way when I was in my 20s is here's all the debt, take your 20s and 30s to pay off your debt. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you can live in no debt right now. And like, this is another whole soapbox, but like, use someone else's money. Yeah. If you get approved, let a bank loan you some money to go build that house or buy that house, you know? And and when you start doing that, like, I'm, I am helping a lot of people, but then there's sometimes, people just gonna have to spend some time unlearning what their mama taught them. Oh, yeah. They're just Absolutely. gonna have to, yeah. you know? Because I can't help people who aren't willing to help themselves. Yeah. And I think that's even for like, for us, Yeah, we still have to fight the unlearning process mm -hmm. over and over. Cause you know, Apostle Paul talks about it's the daily renewing of your mind every, every single, single day. day. Right now th there's, there's experience, there's things that you, mm -hmm. you know, that you've been sewn into, but there's a lot of un unlearning yeah. you got to do. You have to constantly be growing, constantly be learning because yeah. the world's changing. You know, yeah. I, I was telling you this, I read an article. They're talking about electricians within the next five to eight years making a quarter of a million dollars a year. Right. Because electricians and plumbers. Yes. I have three friends that were working with companies. One was a firefighter. One was a real estate agent. Now they have some of the largest plumbing and electric companies in our county. Because those those jobs, you'll always need those jobs. Right. I mean, look around. Lights, you know, bathroom, plumbing. It's always got a friend who's there. got a master's from Georgia Tech. He owns a, uh, I won't say the name, he owns a local funeral home. Yeah. He says, I'm never going out of business. Yes. And his wife quit her job. Yeah. They're raising the kids. So he's a business owner with a stay-at-home wife, raising their kids, homeschooling their kids. He's making a lot more money than he would have ever made at that company yeah. he was driving all the way to Atlanta for. Yeah. And he's got a degree from Georgia Tech. Yep. You know, and he's living debt-free now. And it's just crazy. He's like, I think I'm going to get in the new industry. He went to embalming school and the whole legal stuff, you know. Now he owns a funeral home. Yeah. It's just nuts. Yeah. 
it's a whole nother world we live in. I'll tell you, we could uh we could definitely need to get an episode two, three, four uh volume of this. You know. <laughs> I I'll tell you what I learned is unlearn what you've been told. Yeah, unlearn right? it. And uh don't say I hope it works out. Go make it happen. Make it happen. And it's my belief that if you get your hopes up, your best days are ahead. Yeah. If you get your hopes up, um, if you have a dream, put a date on it. Otherwise, this is going to stay a dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Thanks yeah. for stopping by, man. Man, thank you all so much. This is awesome. Love awesome. the burns. Yeah, man. It's all good. Right.